got stories, cards, and symbols, and all of the above. Myths, tarot, love. Welcome to Myth Tarot Love, a show about ancient stories and witchy wisdom. I'm your host, Biddy Diana. Welcome back, everyone. Today, I had another fun interview um, to share with you. But before I play that, I have a couple of quick announcements. First is that I'm going to be shifting the podcast to a bi-weekly schedule um, starting after this episode. It feels like this is going to be a lot more sustainable pace for me going forward. Um, Yeah, I just want the content to be amazing. And I know with my body and disease that I am not able really to do that every single week. So I'm really trying to give myself some grace with that. Secondly, this will be the last reminder about our 100th episode live event because it is happening next Friday, um, November the 24th at 7 p.m. on my YouTube channel. Um, that's at Biddy Diana. Rose will be joining me for that and we will have some fun um, and interactive games and Q&A and a live performance by Rose. So you don't want to miss it. I will also be releasing um, that episode as a podcast too. Um, so if you're not able to make it live, you will still be able to hear an edited version of it. For today, I had the privilege of speaking with Charlie Claire Broges, who is my guest for this week's episode. Their book, Radical Tarot, was the focus of our discussion, um, but we also talked about their tarot deck, the Fifth Spirit Tarot, um, as well as some upcoming projects. After the interview, I will be reviewing their tarot deck, um, which is something that I want to start doing more of on the podcast. So if there are any in particular that you would like me to review, let me know. But first, here is some info about Charlie. So Charlie, they, them, is a queer and trans non-binary tarot reader, author, illustrator, and witch. They are the author of Radical Tarot, a guide to reading tarot radically and for personal and collective liberation. They are the creator of the Fifth Spirit Tarot, a queer and inclusive deck for a world beyond binaries, and their Gay Marseille, a cheeky queer update on the classic Terra de Marseille. They are currently at work on their next book, Queer Devotion, out uh, from Hay House in 2025, um, which will be an exploration of queer divine in deities and figures of myth and legend. Originally from the Deep South, Charlie has made their home in Portland, Oregon with their spouse, a whole lot of houseplants, and a one-eyed pug named Apollo. Connect with Charlie on Instagram at the word witch, the period word period witch, or on their website, thewordwitchtarot.com. Hi, Charlie. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. I'm really excited to talk to you today. Yeah, so excited. Um, I just finished reading your book, Radical Tarot, mm. yesterday, the day before. It's been so amazing. It's like oh. so many great, amazing little nuggets. So absolutely want to talk about that today. But yeah, but first I just wanted to see what got you into tarot. Ooh, um, I mean, the first time I started reading tarot, as you know, you probably mm -hmm. read in the introduction, I was in high school. Um, I was a teenager and um, I, I was just looking for like something else to to believe in, like something magical, like something that made me feel good. Honestly, um, I was raised in Alabama, uh, raised in the church. Um, and I had known since like fourth grade that I didn't believe in whatever God they were selling me. <laughs> um, and, you know, as a queer person, even before I realized that I was queer in any way, and long before I realized that I was non-binary or trans, 
um, I still, you know, you, you just know, you just know when, uh, when you're being alienated, even if you can't put your finger on it, you know? Yeah. And so, um, I started looking into, uh, witchcraft, Wicca and tarot as a, uh, teenager. Cause I was just like, you know what? Like, fuck it. Can I say? Yeah. Oh yeah. Yes. <laughs> I was like, you know, these are the things that like, you know, the church has, has always told me this is like the stuff of the devil, you know, but yeah. like, I am also told that I am like for who I am. I knew I was bisexual by that point that I am also sinful, that I am wrong. So let's, let's do it. Let's like, <laughs> let's uh, find out what, what magic there is in these taboo areas. Um, and yeah, so I, I, um, got my first tarot deck from the bookstore and started trying to read the cards and, um, didn't do very well with it because I only had like the little white book, um, and didn't have any community. And this was before social media existed. So, um, just aging myself there, um, (laughs) So I wasn't able to like uh, access all of the perspectives of other people that are out there, um, especially around queering the tarot, but even just around like uh, card meanings that aren't super fatalistic or card meanings that don't entirely have to do with like marriage or money. Because those are like the two main things in like the real traditional guidebooks. Um, and so eventually I, I gave it up. Uh, I threw my tarot deck into a dumpster, um, <laughs> and along with all my witchy books and I became an atheist for, um, over a decade until I found my way back into tarot and into witchcraft and magic and spirituality in my late twenties. Um, and that corresponded, coincided with me getting a divorce uh, me figuring out my gender identity, uh, me completely just totally changing my life. Um, so yeah, the tarot the second time, it seems to have stuck. (laughs) (laughs) And, um, yeah, totally just like, it was my companion in revolutionizing my life. Um, and really coming into understanding and accepting and celebrating myself. And uh, that's why I'm uh, excited to share it with other people, honestly, because <laughs> it's got yeah. that. That's what it can do. So. That's so beautiful. And I love that. Yeah, that connection piece to it, that it sounds like it was an amazing companion for you in a very big transition time um, in your life. And it's so funny. I feel like I have a similar almost like timeline as well. When I was yeah in grade four, I went, that's when I started going to a Catholic school. So I went to public school before that. Mm-hmm. But I started in grade four and I was like, what? What's going on? Like none of it made sense in my mind, even at mm-hmm. that age. Mm-hmm. I'm like, wait, we're all we're all doing this? This is oh, okay. So I need, <laughs> I need right away. I'm like, okay, something's different in my mind, and that's okay. Um, mm-hmm. and then yeah, high school, but it wasn't tarot, it was oracle cards, but yeah. same, like yeah. didn't have access to other people or other ways of looking and thinking. And it wasn't mm-hmm. until yeah, my late 20s, early 30s that I'm like, okay, let's go more into this and see kind of what's there. Um, yeah. And you're right. It's all money, relationships, um, <laughs> and we'll get probably into the binary, right, of, yeah, well, not life, but it comes up so much. And so it makes sense mm-hmm. in that way that it has come up in the tarot um, up until mm-hmm. this point, right? So, and that's yeah. what... Yeah, I loved about reading your book. And I think I read, was it Queering the Craft by Cassandra Snow? So Mm -hmm. amazing as well. Um, And just, yeah, being able to look at things through that lens has been really, really helpful. Is that kind of where you wanted to not position your book, but like what drew you to writing it, I guess? Yeah. Um, So uh, I love Cassandra. Cassandra is a, is a, a, friend colleague of mine now at this point which I just feel so cool that I even get to say because queering your craft well queering the tarot and then queering your craft later um, have been just two really wonderful resources for me that I recommend anybody and everybody um, 
to go check out. Um, yeah, so I wanted to write Radical Tarot because, um, A, I don't think that there's any, like, limit on, like, how many queer tarot books can be in, out there, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, it certainly is, like, walking in the, the footsteps of Cassandra. They actually wrote the foreword for the book, which I was so freaking honored <laughs> <laughs> to have uh, them uh, do that. Um, but... Uh, uh, I wanted to take a look at tarot from a queer lens, but also even more than that, the book is about reading tarot in radical ways, like mm-hmm. specifically for the purpose of liberating yourself, uh, self-liberation and then collective liberation. Um, uh, Cause I think that that's the story or one of the stories that we can see in the tarot. Um, If we look at the major arcana, uh, there's lots of different ways that people have made sense out of it over the centuries. Um, The fool's journey is probably the one that people are most familiar with at this point, uh, where it's like the fool's journey to enlightenment. Um, I think that we can look at it not as a journey to enlightenment, but to as a journey to liberation um, becoming liberated from the boxes of binaries that we are put into um, throughout life in in this Western society and culture that we have, um, which includes gender, but also includes literally literally everything. Like when like we're conditioned from childhood usually to be a certain way. You know, we're told here are the possibilities. Like here's the kind of person that you can be based on your uh, sex, based on your religion, based on your culture, based on your skin color, based on, you know, just X, Y, Z, based on your uh, standardized test scores, you know, like (laughs) the list, the list goes on. And then we try to fit ourselves into those boxes because that's how we're told we can make like a happy life. Yeah. Um, and those boxes just don't work for for a lot of us. Uh, for some of us, they do, but for a lot of people, and you don't have to be queer to not fit into these boxes, you know. Um, and so I think that's one of the things that tarot can show us. Like it shows us that narrative from the fool to judgment and the world, um, and also just by reading the cards, by reading like pulling tarot spreads and reading them, that is an exercise in stepping outside of the boxes, right? Like that's an exercise in stepping outside of your own brain to the extent that we can actually do that um, in order to look at your life or the situation differently from a different perspective based on what the cards are showing you, you know, because they might introduce something that you haven't considered. You know, they might introduce something that like makes you think about things in like a little bit of a different way. Um, It just, it helps us crack out of um, those boxes, including the boxes of our own conditioning and our own perceptions, um, or it can if we uh, <laughs> if that's the way we we want to use it. So, absolutely, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I think it's very much helpful in deconstructing if that is yeah, like the journey that you're going on, um, yeah. all of the yeah. things that we're taught, and yeah, absolutely, that compulsory mm-hmm. is it heteronormativity. Yes, that yes. just, oh. <laughs> yeah. like I said, permeates every part of society. And mm-hmm. I agree, I really like tarot as, you know, a place of, or can help with self-reflection and mm-hmm. looking, like you said, at things in a different way. I also love that you mentioned the fool because I liked, and now I need to look at it. Is it, I I like that you had different names for each of the major arcana Mm -hmm. cards in there as well. I found that to be really helpful. Um, And I'm flipping to it here. Yeah, it is the anarchist as the fool. I saw that and I was like, yes. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I I felt very right. Yes, I jokingly have called myself a gender anarchist. And then in a recent interview, I called myself a spiritual anarchist. And, you know, I'm like, yeah, I think that I just can go ahead and just come out as an anarchist just in all of the ways. (laughs) (laughs) I'm not fooling anybody anymore. It's fine. 
<laughs> That's so funny. Um, absolutely. You um, also go into like the history of the cards. Um, I was wondering if there were any that surprised you as you were doing mm. your research. Um, I think that uh, my two like surprise, not necessarily because I think that like the more I look into the the history of the cards, the more I look into you know the the evolution of the card arts and the the stories or allegories that these cards come from, the more the cards actually make sense to me, <laughs> you know, yeah, like it because my question, even when I was uh, first, learning tarot or relearning tarot as an adult was always why you know when I whenever I would read a, a book a tarot book that was giving me a card interpretation I was like but why does it mean this like tell me why and the guidebooks that could point to things in the imagery you know in the card art were the ones that I was like okay well that makes sense like you're you're connecting this to this thing in like the image like cool or if they were connecting it to something from you know kabbalah although i don't personally um uh, practice kabbalah uh or something else some like you know hermes trismegistus thing uh which i probably said wrong i can't say that word trismegistus trismegistus um the uh uh hermetic god figure who the original like french occultists thought passed that gave tarot to like the people kind of um uh i'm probably saying that wrong no that's don't don't quote me (laughs) but um uh the guidebooks that could point to those things were the ones that i was like okay i get this like this helps me like understand um, I think that probably is a holdover from religious trauma. I'm like, no, I'm not just going to believe what you're telling me is true yeah. unless like you give me the reasoning. <laughs> um, and so looking in, the more I've looked into the history of the cards, the more they've made sense to me. I think my, my favorite things that I've learned were things about the high priestess, the history of the high priestess um, being a potential, because so the high priestess originally was called the popus, or as in the female pope. Um, and, uh, that's heresy, <laughs> you know, yeah. the, the Catholic, the Catholic church isn't big on female popes. Mm-hmm. Um, so how did that card get into the deck? That's been one of the, uh, questions in hot questions in hero scholarship. Um, the most mundane answer is that it wasn't originally supposed to be a female pope it was just a an allegory of the church itself presented mm-hmm. in a female form uh like the you know anthropomorphized virtues of like justice or prudence or fortitude or these things which the classics would um portray as women the the listeners can't see me. I'm rolling my eyes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so that's like the most boring answer. But um, other possibilities are that it was a representation of the folk hero Pope Joan, um, who is a figure of legend uh, that was still in medieval Europe believed to be a real person, a real figure. Um or that the Popus was uh, potentially a Visconti family ancestor. The Viscontis were the family that commissioned um, the first tarot decks, at least uh, the first editions or versions of the tarot that the modern tarot grew out of. Um, the Visconti family was the noble Milanese family that um, commissioned those decks. That family had an ancestor, Mayfreda. Uh, Mayfreda Visconti de Piravano, um, who actually became a real life popus of a heretical Christian sect called the Guglielmites, um, and was burned at the stake for heresy in 1300. Um, so, like 150 years before the Visconti tarot decks were created, but potentially, like a the popus could be a nod to that family ancestor. Most most um, tarot historians think that it was the first most boring answer and not <laughs> either of these two, Pope Joan or Mayfreda. 
um, possibility is, but I don't know. I think that even knowing those things existed, that there was a popus in the popular imagination of the of, of medieval and Renaissance Europe, Pope Joan, that there was this secret, her, like heretical popus in the Visconti family um, ancestry, can add layers of meaning to the high priestess card, um, and add layers of meaning having to do with heresy. Um, having to do with uh, believing what you know your your soul knows is true, like no, like knows to be true, despite the powers that be, despite the institutions of religion, um, and what they are telling you is true, which historically has been not good things. <laughs> you know yeah. that 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 spiritual knowledge and courage to be able to go your own way um, in defiance of the um, religious powers that be is like one of the like that ties right in with even modern meetings of the Hyde Priestess being about like intuition and stuff like that. It's all about knowing your own spiritual like uh, your, it's about your own spiritual integrity in a way. So yeah, yeah. I, I could keep going on and on because there's also things with like the hermit and with the hanged one that I found in, in their histories that really added new levels of meaning to the cards. But yeah, I'm a I'm a nerd. <laughs> <laughs> Don't, same here. Proudly. So, yes, exactly. Yeah. No, I love learn like love learning in general, but especially yeah, like you said, where it's coming from and seeing like I feel like. It might be one of those possibilities, like you said, with the Pope S, but I think for sure it would be a combination of them would probably be more likely the answer, maybe. Yeah, yeah. And and then there's like the argument that like, um, even if the original um, Pope S card, which didn't have a t- title on it, it wasn't the original tarot cards, they didn't have names on them. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was just a picture of uh, a woman wearing kind of what, what looked like, um, I believe, a the order of um, the poor Claire's is like the habit that she's wearing, but then she's wearing like a Pope hat. Um, uh, that was originally the image, but there was no title. Uh, so it didn't say like Ecclesia, the church, mm, you know, and it mm-hmm. didn't say Popus, but Popus was what it was titled later. Mm. So like whoever put that name on it, when they put names on it, looked at it and went Popus. They didn't yeah. go church, you know, <laughs> they went Popus. And then that meaning was given to the card and like imbued into it at that point in time, even if it wasn't previously. So that's, that's my argument at least. That's so cool. I think I didn't realize that, that they had images first and then the names were added to it afterwards. That's so cool. Yeah. They also didn't have numbers at first. I mean, the minor arcana did, you know, mm-hmm. the ace or 10 cards did, of course, but the major yeah. arcana was not numbered Interesting. Um, until later. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Hmm, that's really cool. Yeah. I found, I knew that my great grandmother um, read tarot um, in Romania. And I thought that she, you know, just read like the regular tarot cards, but it was the playing cards. And so I'm yeah. like, okay, well that makes more sense. Yeah. And that, yeah. but it's still connected. Right. So oh, mm-hmm. I thought that was cool. Yeah, absolutely. Um, do you have a card that you feel is the queerest card from <laughs> the majors or any, <laughs> you know, um, that's a good question. My old answer to that would have been temperance, which I still think is a very queer card. Um, but now like being on, on the other side of writing this book, um, I'm like, freaking all the cards are queer. They're all <laughs> like, <laughs> they're all saturated in, in queerness. Um, so in the, I think that the so temperance has been considered a, a queer card by a lot of people because it's it's kind of about being non-binary. It's it's about um, you know taking those two cups that are pictured in the temperance card and mixing their contents, like going here's two binaries. Now I'm proving the binary to be a lie. You know, basically, um, 
And so it's about synthesis, fluidity. Um, it's about opposites being true at the same time, um, stuff like that. But in the interest of of saying something uh, <laughs> that hasn't been said so many times before, um, I'm going to say, actually, I mean, I think that the devil is really queer. Mm-hmm. Um. But I'm going to say, I'm going to go with the court cards, actually, uh, just to be really contrary. Um, <laughs> and and also because I just finished writing an essay on uh, reading the court cards as queer elements that, that should be appearing in um, a tarot anthology um, eventually. But uh, yeah, I think that the court cards are actually really super queer cards. Uh, you know, they, they're presented in this, you know, feudal hierarchy of page, knight, queen, king. Um, and so they seem to be not only very rigidly binary gendered with king and queen, but also, you know, there's a rank and the rank is patriarchy. (laughs) Um, but when we really dig into the court cards, I think that there's a lot of queerness there because a, they're the most confusing cards in the deck. Like they are notoriously the cards that um, people who are learning tarot have the hardest time figuring out what the heck do these mean? Um, uh, their, their meanings, have they have had so many different meanings. Like if you look at um, historical meanings of the cards, uh, the court cards all like that, there's the most variety there um, than probably, I mean, I haven't done like a study of it, but probably more variety and disagreement there than with any other cards in the deck. Um, even the golden Dawn didn't know what the heck they meant. Like the, the golden Dawn, um, uh, like re kind of flip-flopped and reordered the court cards a little bit. Um, they were like, they went, Oh, actually, I think that the knight, the young person on the horse should be the king. Like that should be the one in power and like this old dude on the throne should be like, should retire and like move back down the rank into like the knight huh. position. Um, and the, and they like, you know, renamed the, so they renamed the knight king and the king prince or something. And, but then A.E. Waite changed it back in the Rider Waite Smith deck, but Alistair Crowley with the top deck went back to that original golden dawn version anyway the point is ever like no one everybody has always been like what with the court cards and so i think that makes them a potentially really really rich area for queer exploration because their meanings aren't as fixed you know um they're even their positions or their rankings there's a lot of disagreement with or there has been disagreement with um in the past 120 140 years um and one of the ways of reading the court cards that t- that takes the gender out of it and even the hierarchy out of it um is reading them as elements um which is not something that i talk about in radical tarot but that is the subject of the essay that i just wrote and it's how I, I read, you know, one of the ways that I read tar- read the court cards for myself, if you think of them as like cross hatches of elements, where like, page is earth, knight is fire, queen is water, and king is air. And those don't have to be the elements you assign to them. Um, a lot of people flip the knight and king elements. Um, but really, it's just whatever makes sense to you. And then you, so you have those and then you match those up with then the elements of the suit. So like the queen of swords would be water plus air. Uh, the page of wands would be earth plus fire, right? If you read them that way, it can take out, you, basically you just take out the titles and relate to them as elements. Um, it makes them much more intuitive. Mm-hmm. It queers them in relation to uh to what it is to be like human basically because we're taking it into the natural world instead of just anthropomorphizing everything and then we we can also start wondering like well what if it's not just fire plus earth what if it is 
a combination of those things? What if those two things are melded together? And what would that be? That would be like magma, or that would be like a, a, uh, a kiln or something, or like an oven or, <laughs> you know, and what does that tell me about what the page of wands means? that is completely outside of the idea of page, you know, mm-hmm. um, or even of wands. So, yeah, I think there's a lot of area that hasn't yet been explored really thoroughly in the court cards for a lot of queerness. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. They definitely um, sound like the most fluid of the cards in that way, right? Because they can, they've meant so many different things over time. And just the cards in general, I feel like can mean something different for everyone. But yeah, I absolutely agree. I actually just finished a series talking about the court cards. So the listeners (laughs) will, uh, will know that yeah i definitely see them as more of like either like the element or something closer to it like rooting into it moving you know mm-hmm. with the knights and cultivating with the yeah. queens and leading with the kings um and i loved how you uh, said too in the book about the kings being stewards cuz i think that's so yeah. important in well in life in general right but just stewardship i think is a really great way to look at the kings and i think the emperor too um yes it it just it breaks down that again that hierarchy and that steward or patriarchy as well um into okay how can we actually caretake how can we do that as opposed to how can i rule this yes and i think that that's one of the ways that tarot is so liberatory is is one of the ways it it is so good at like deprogramming deconditioning is because it gives us opportunities to confront those things because it goes like emperor deal with it like (laughs) you know (laughs) what does this mean to you if you hate seeing this card when it comes up on the table why why do you hate it what does it make you feel what do you not like about it what would you like for um leadership to mean instead what would you like for authority to look like instead um if you don't like the hierophant why does it make you feel that way you know yeah what about tradition or institutions is triggering you you know and what else could it be instead you know like how can tradition be be a beautiful thing instead of just an apparatus of oppression Mm -hmm. um you know, so yeah. yeah, I definitely feel that way with temperance. And I'm looking over here because I actually okay, so I pulled it not only today, but for the past three days, I have pulled temperance and um, the emperor twice as well. So I'm like, mm-hmm. what is and I feel like it is one of those that I have traditionally had difficulty with reading and knowing because to me, the yeah, the idea of like moderation and self-control and all this stuff. I'm like, nah, mm-hmm. I don't. <laughs> At least for me, it doesn't yeah. like resonate. So it's helping me to look deeper into it and really try to ground into, OK, what is it? You know, something that you just said made me think of um, uh I was just listening to um, the In Search of Tarot podcast where they're they're kindly doing a, a book club with Radical Tarot right now. And mm-hmm. so I was listening to like the first um, book, club, book club episode and um, either Nick or Angie said something about um, the experience of contacting the, the divine um, being unlanguageable. I think it was Nick said mm. something about like whenever – like whenever they can't put something into words, uh, they feel like that is that's it's because it's of its like numinousness, like it's unlanguageableness, mm. you know. Um, yeah. And so that's sometimes a moment when you know that like you're really you're really onto something, like you're really contacting something um, is when you can't put it into words. And so with cards like Temperance where you're like, I can't put my finger on what this card means. Like this card is, is hard for me to understand. Sometimes I'm like, maybe that's because it's, it's communicating something or trying to communicate something that is much bigger than our, our understanding or that doesn't fit into one of the tidy boxes and categories of meaning that Mm -hmm. we have 
already constructed to put things into, you know, so it's an opportunity to really try to, to get out of that box. And also to, I think, you know, language, language is limiting, like language has limits. Um, And so sometimes the best we can do is like, is like a feeling or like, uh, you know, when you, when you feel like knowledge in, in you, but you can't make it legible, you just Mm -hmm. know that it's there. Um, And so I think that that's also a very queer thing as well. So similar, similarly to the court cards and to temperance, like there's, there's intersections of, of queerness and numinousness and category defying language defying stuff in there. <laughs> yeah, no, I really appreciate that. Cause I, I think, yeah, that feeling into it um, for me, cause that's how I, I think about things too. It's like, okay, how does this make me feel could probably be a better starting point than this means this, right? And then mm-hmm. to kind of maybe just, yeah, go from there and feel into it. And maybe, yeah, I just don't have the words yet. I don't know the words to, yeah. to bring it out. Yeah. yeah. And that's okay. That's beautiful. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Oh, I love that. <laughs> um, I wanted to ask you as well. Uh, so I know that you um, have one or more tarot decks. Is it two? Um one that has already been printed, um, one that's already in circulation, Fifth Spirit Tarot. And uh, the Gay Marseille um, is one that I have coming out this spring or spring 2024. Um, I did a Kickstarter for it this past summer. And so now I'm in the, the final stages of finishing um that deck and hope to be sending it off to the printers soon and stuff so That's very soon exciting. it'll be too <laughs> yeah. very very exciting what was oh not the process because i'm sure is a very very long process but anything any fun parts of creating a tarot deck oh my gosh the whole <laughs> every every part of it is fun um i think that for me particularly being a big old Aquarius like I am, um, I love systems. Mm-hmm. I love understanding systems and then breaking the system. <laughs> like I like getting in there and like oh. fucking with it. You Sorry, know? <laughs> that my partner is also an Aquarius and that just was like, oh, that's what he does. Oh my. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. That makes sense. Yeah. Um, and, uh, that's one of the reasons why I love tarot so much, I think, um, is, is because of, of that. And so and the, the thing that I love the most when I'm making tarot decks is probably just being able to do that. Like going, here's how, because basically like fifth spirit is, uh, more of like a Rider Waite Smith based deck. It's not a. It's not just like a reproduction of that. It kind of does its own thing, but there's a lot of references to um, uh, Pamela Coleman Smith's illustrations in uh, the deck. The Gay Marseille Tarot is, as it sounds, a Marseille Tarot, um, and so I'm getting to now get I get my fingers into that system and mess with it and like make it queer as well. Um, and so I get to go, I get to look at the classic illustrations, the traditional illustrations and go, okay, what here do I, do I want to keep? What here do I want to highlight? What here do I want to subvert and, and change or, or add something new to in order to like, uh, tease out, tease out a different meaning that I want to, uh, show in this card. Um, and that's just a, a whole heck of a lot of fun. So <laughs> that sounds like so much fun. <laughs> it is. <laughs> That's amazing. Oh, um, I wanted to. So I was on your Instagram live when the book first came out. And I remember you mm-hmm. mentioning about queer devotion, I believe, yes. or queer divinity. Since I queer do devotion, we talk about mythology here as well. I thought mm-hmm. it would be amazing if we could. I don't know if you can talk about that yes. um, work yet or not, but just yeah. in general. <laughs> yeah. 
Absolutely. Thank you for asking. Yeah, my next book is going to be called Queer Devotion. Um, and it's scheduled to come out in May of 2025. So we're gonna have to wait a second. But um, uh, I'm currently working on it now. Um, and uh, it's a, a look at figures from mythology, religion, folklore, history, um, who uh, are like, into queering of them. So I'm, I'm looking not just at canonically queer figures mm -hmm. from myth and legend, like um, Joan of Arc, or like, I don't know, Loki from the Norse pantheon. I am looking at those, but then I'm also queering some of the old stories so like one of the chapters that i have already written is called birth of transgender venus and it's like a trans look at one of uh, venus aphrodite's origin stories um and so uh yeah I'm, I'm basically i'm like looking for the queer divine in there and then i'm also um looking for ways that we can practice devotion queerly, you know, mm -hmm. so it's not just mm -hmm. about being devoted to like queer entities, um, but about being devoted in queer ways and what that means. Um, and so, yeah, I'm really, I'm really excited. Um, I'm really excited about it. I actually just, just started a substack um, that's kind of going to be accompanying my process of, of writing it, not to share like excerpts because I can't, because my publisher yeah. would be mad, but like <laughs> to share, like, here's some cool things that I'm like discovering along the way. Here's yeah. what I'm thinking about right now. Um, and uh, that substack is called queerly devoted. <laughs> and I hope that it'll continue on afterwards. And I want to be able to like, bring on um other like queer spiritual folk and do like interviews or something on there too eventually um that's a bit down the road because i've got a lot on my plate right now already but <laughs> um yeah so yeah that sounds so cool i definitely <laughs> want to sign up for that for the substack because that sounds yeah. really really fun and amazing <laughs> yeah Me i do. love that idea of um queering the practice is that what yeah yeah like have... wearing the actual practice mm -hmm. or practice of devotion yeah yeah do yeah. you have like one example you can think of yeah yeah totally so um one of the things that i do um that i've found a lot of resonance uh and pleasure in frankly is um well two things um i've been sort of <laughs> It's, this is kind of a, like, uh, it's still, I still have a hard time saying this because of the aforementioned religious trauma, mm -hmm. but I have been, um, uh, working with a practice with Mary, mm -hmm. <laughs> with, with the Virgin Mary as a face of, um, Aphrodite, Venus, Inanna, Ishtar, Astarte, all the previous queens of heaven, basically. One of Mary's mm. titles in Revelation, they uh, she's referred to as the queen of heaven. Uh, that title has been used and applied to many, many other goddesses throughout yeah. history. It, all of the ones that I just named um, were queens of heaven. And all of them mostly associated with uh, Venus, the star, even if it was called by different names at different points in history. Um, and so I've been working with Mary as a face of like all of those things. So that is, that is a queering of Mary. That is a, that's heretical. I'm very interested in, in um, making the, the profane sacred and the sacred profane. Um, but in terms of like a, a tangible practice, I have um, been experimenting with uh, a queered version of the rosary. Mm. Um, so like while um, Venus was retrograde uh, a couple months ago, every day of Venus retrograde, because again, Venus associated with Mary, 
I I prayed a, a queered version of the ro- rosary and it was it was incredible. It was difficult. It was like it was hard at first because I had to get over like these yeah. layers of conditioning that made me go like, "Uh, like what am I doing?" like, you know, Christian trauma coming back up, but it ended up being really freeing and really magical, frankly, frankly <laughs> to be able to do that. So I'm interested in um ways that we can queer traditional practices like that i have i also um uh, enjoy writing queered version of the versions of the orphic hymns um i've like written my own version of of um based on uh, the orphic hymn to dionysus but tweaked to be to uh queer spirits which would be like the queer divine or the the spirit of queerness um but then also we can think about like uh, devotion is we're often taught like we, we need to do the right offerings. We need to pray at the correct planetary hours. You know, we need yep. to do everything X, Y, Z in this way. And we can do that if that's what feels right, feels good. Um, for us to do those more traditional things, but we can also step outside of those boxes. We can experiment, um, even just like experimenting with like different offerings if you're working with um, a deity, uh, or even if you know if you have like an ancestor practice instead of the standard ones, just to see what like what works, like what feels best, what makes most sense um, to you and to whatever you're working with Um, and non-traditional offerings like um, uh, song. I mean, that's actually, there's a, there's a long tradition of of song being um, an offering, a type of offering Uh, dance, going to a protest, um, doing drag, um, you know, community service as a spiritual practice, things like that. Um, Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, even what came to mind just now when you were saying that, like doing makeup, I was um, yes. like my I was doing yeah some ancestor worship. And what came to mind as I was doing it was, yeah, different lipstick and playing with different things. I'm like, oh, OK, yes. sure. <laughs> and so yes. now whenever I do that, I'm like thinking of them and connecting to them in that way. Yes, yeah. yes, I love that. And and um makeup and adornment, Mm -hmm. um, I think is particularly resonant for, um, uh, queer, queer people. If you're, and if you're working with intentionally working with any entity that you consider to be a queer entity, like, like I do, like I think of, of Mary Venus, um, Aphrodite as a very queer entity. And, um, I think of Mary as like the mother of outcasts, which, like Our Lady of Outcasts, which includes, you know, queer folks in that umbrella. Or if you're working with like Hermes Mercury, I'm yeah. pointing at my desk because I have a picture of Hermes on my desk. Um, <laughs> um, adornments is is a magical act and is a ritual act. And there's a long tradition of it being so. Think of, um, think of uh, the robes that they put on in church. You know, they've got like a whole costume that that they put on in order to like do their you know do the service um what can that look like in a queer context like why then is like putting on makeup um uh putting on clothes that that feel good to you that you feel like uh, are uh, if euphoric in like that can be a ritual act that can also be a, a part of a devotional practice you know? Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Oh, <laughs> I love that so much. <laughs> yeah. I'm like thinking about different ways. I'm like, Ooh, what else can I do? Um, yeah. Not differently, yeah, but to well, queer it up a little. Yes. And uh, cause queerness is always, I mean, it is, it's inherently, I think, exploratory. It's inherently yeah. outside the box. It's about curiosity and flexibility. Um, and, and things being able to change. I think that's one of the most important things that, um, that I've learned and that I think a lot of people struggle with is that like you, you can change your mind. 
you know, you don't have to commit yourself to one type of devotion for forever. It will change. It will ebb Mm -hmm. and flow. Um, And giving yourself, you know, some permission in order like to do that while still being committed to um, queer devotion in whatever way that makes sense to you. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Because, yeah, it makes sense because we change. And so it makes Mm -hmm. sense for practice to change and for how we relate to those things to change over time as well. Yeah, I find a lot of time, not a lot of times, I should say it's happened like twice. (laughs) But when I go somewhere, like specifically to like Greece or somewhere like that, like I do feel Mm -hmm. connected because of the place and the space that I'm in. But I find that I do bring back, quote unquote, bring back, (laughs) connect with certain deities a little bit more. um, Yeah. And then, yeah, kind of, quote unquote, bring them back with me and try to do things here with them, if that makes sense. I don't know if it does. That makes sense. That makes total sense. That makes absolute sense. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think that there is, you know, there's like, like place has, has something to do with that. I mean, and not Mm -hmm. just like going to the places where um, these like specific deities were, were grown, you know, but also place as in um, like working, working with the energies of the places that we are in right now, Mm -hmm. you know? Like, even if you live in an urban environment, like I do, you know, there's, there's a, there's an energy to my backyard, you know, (laughs) well, to the backyard that I share with like 20 other people in the building that I live in. (laughs) But like, you know, that has energy. There's a garden back there. Tending that garden Mm -hmm. is a, another way of showing devotion to the, the the space you know to this this land that i'm i'm living on even though i am i am a settler um and uh part of part of what i can do as a settler here is take care of the lands that i'm living on you know yeah um and that's a, that's a, you know, that helps you be spiritually right with the the place that you are, you know? Absolutely. Yeah. It goes back to that stewardship idea, I think. And yeah, yeah being connected to the land here um, as gratitude and thank you for, for us being here. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And the land was also like the first, like those are the OG yeah. gods, right? Yeah. Like the first gods weren't anthropomorphized they were mountain they were sea they were sky chaos you know (laughs) yes yes (laughs) yeah yeah no absolutely Mm -hmm. yeah i i do that with my students um sometimes too when i am teaching um like Greek mythology and that sort of thing, I try to to get them to look at the stories a little bit differently or you know why are they written the way that they are can we do it in a different way is there some subtext there and i find that that's really helpful um for them to to practice that and i think that's kind of what what this is too right absolutely and um what is the name of the book that i'm thinking of right now um oh yeah right here Um, made me think of this book, Queer Ancient Ways, um, A Decolonial Exploration, um, uh, by, I'm definitely going to pronounce this wrong, and I apologize, uh, Zyrong Yang, Yang, um, and it's like a a, a re-exploration of Babylonian myth, um, and uh, also indigenous um, uh, American myth, um, and one of the things that it does is like look at like the the story of Tiamat um, in uh, Babylon, and um, like Tiamat was this like primordial kind of um, like mother uh, entity, um, but it has been remembered as a monster that basically the patriarchal 
yeah. uh, upstart god had to like come and, and obliterate um, in order to create the world. Um, and uh, the author like digs into that and looks at like, okay, this is how it's been remembered. This is how it's been like uh, interpreted by um, predominantly white Western patriarchal scholars. Um, but that doesn't mean that that is actually what it was. That doesn't mean that that is like who Tiamat was. That doesn't mean that like the story, that this is the right story, you know? Mm-hmm. And so then like goes and looks at like, you know, the, the original texts and the hints. And that's one of the things that I did with Radical Tarot was kind of like follow like some of those hints. Um, uh, shout out to, uh, Jose Esteban Munoz um, and his concept of queer evidence, um, which is uh, sort of like listening to the hints and the whispers that are in a text or that in a sto- that are in a story instead of the explicitly legible meaning, quote unquote, meaning that has been made of it. Um, because what is remembered? What is passed down? It's the narrative that the powers that be decide is the story they want to tell. Um, The reason why it's, you know, hard to find queer stories in in history, um, in religion and myth sometimes is because the stories have been told by um, a society, a, a culture, Western culture that wants to eradicate queerness, that wants to eradicate gender diversity. Um, uh, the gender binary is a, a colonial uh, project, yeah. <laughs> you know? And so without getting too often in the weeds here, I, how I think that applies to things like um, myth and, and things like tarot is just like the simple knowledge that we do not know the whole story the story that we have is incomplete and biased (laughs) and the only way that we can try to uncover the original story is imagination at this point (laughs) you know kind of like listening to that queer evidence listening to the hints um imagining like uh queerness into these spaces retelling these things in queer ways because queer people always existed Um, we were there at at every point in time. We've just been written out of the record. (laughs) So that's one of the things that I'm, I'm interested in doing with queer devotion. That's uh, for sure. Yeah. Oh, I cannot wait (laughs) to, to read that. That sounds so amazing. Yeah. I think that, yeah, you're absolutely right in everything that you've just said and that it's not like, it's not only who is writing right in the past is who it is written for (laughs) right Mm -hmm. there's always intention behind it um and then who even translates it today like we read those texts in english mostly right do they have yeah i don't want to say an agenda but like do they have any biases in the translation and you know what got written down and retranscribed over and over and over again to even get to today yeah, yeah it's absolutely like the biggest game of telephone <laughs> imaginable yes. so yeah yeah and I, I something that you said there i also just want to highlight that um uh these stories were originally told by people in a in a specific time and yeah. a specific society and culture <laughs> and we can't even necessarily understand these stories because we do not exist in that time and in that culture you know even even within like the same culture it's three thousand years removed you know it's not the same culture anymore um and so there is there is a a a finite uh ability (laughs) for us as modern people to to be able to know at all how those stories would have been received and what they would have mean, meant to the people who were actually there living in the time of their creation. So, yeah, 
<laughs> Absolutely. I think that gives us, yeah, so much space to further understand the stories in ways that they then can relate to us. Because like you said, can we know exactly what it meant to them? No. <laughs> yeah. But yeah. Um, we can try to get as much from, from it as we can in that way. Yeah. 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 Cause otherwise we would just be capitulating to the, uh, powers that be that have that have created their narratives that serve themselves <laughs> absolutely <laughs> and we've definitely yeah. seen that happen right that anyone can take from the past and kind of use it in their own ways for yeah good or not good so yeah yeah absolutely mm-hmm. well the like narrative narrative is is everything um and religion is in some ways just a very specific, very powerful narrative yes. <laughs> that people in power have used uh, and twisted and used to manipulate people. So taking that back. <laughs> yes. Reclaiming it. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. Um, before I let you go, is there anything else that you would like to chat about or to, to bring up? Hmm. Um, I don't think so. I don't know. I don't know. I don't think so. We talked about a lot. I know we did. Yeah, (laughs) that is absolutely fine. I just thought I would throw that out there just in case. (laughs) Um, I'm looking at my... Oh, I I think... if I have any, if I have anything else to say, it would be, um, you know, one of the things that... um, I talk about in the book that's in the title of the book is that tarot um, I think has the ability to create the future. It's not just about telling the future. It can certainly be used to tell the future, but we can also use it to help create the future that we, we need that we need and that we want to see. And the way we do that is by using it in these um, uh, deconstructive and liberatory ways. And by, um, you know, when, when you pull cards and you're looking at them on the table and you have cards in a future position and you don't like what they look like, we can then go, okay, well, like, what are we going to, are we just going to go like, eh, I guess we'll just continue rolling down the hill to uh, climate oblivion or are we going to try to do something to change that? You know, like it's, it's another way to, um, it's another tool that we can use to actually uh, come into our agency you know and be active participants in directing uh the course of the future instead of just succumbing to powerlessness which is something that i see happening everywhere um all the time (laughs) just people going like eh i'm only one person what can i do you know um, there's so much like every everything matters everything matters and I think that tarot can be um, a, a a companion um, and a tool uh, on that on that journey of like relearning your agency <laughs> yeah and grabbing I don't know why in my mind that I have like a ripple effect kind of imagery that's coming yeah. up and I think that that can definitely be that that can be like that big first like stone throw throw into the water yeah. and it just grows from there yes absolutely absolutely yeah I love that you've done such an amazing job with this book and thank you so so much for coming on and for talking with me today really really appreciate it Thank you so much. It's uh, I've I've loved this conversation. This was just a lot of fun. So, yes, me so too. Thank you. So that was my interview with Charlie. Before I leave you today, I do want to talk briefly about their tarot deck, the Fifth Spirit Tarot. So what I love about it is that they've taken a lot of the traditional imagery um, from the um, Smith Rider Waite deck, but given it a more modern and inclusive and queer bent to it. So I really like, for example, with the different suits, like the cup suits and the pentacles too, each one um, 
has like a variety of different cups in the image and again more modernized so for example the five of cups there is like a crushed can a broken bottle an upside down mug another mug with tea and even a water glass so for me this really helps um the cards feel grounded and not as abstract because they are images of things that i interact with daily um, I also really like how the knights are depicted because it taps into different forms of movement. And so, for example, the Knight of Wands um, is on a skateboard. The Knight of Cups is rollerblading. Oh, if you can see that <laughs> very well. Um, the Knight of Swords is on a bicycle and the Knight of Pentacles is walking. And the figure in that card in particular has a prosthetic leg. So overall, I'm really enjoying this deck. I have been using it pretty exclusively for the past few weeks, and it already feels like a really good friend and someone or something that just is solid and is there for me, which is really lovely. Thank you all so much, as always, for listening. You can find me in all the regular places at Biddy Diana or at Myth Tarot Love on yeah, social medias. Um, but today I'm going to leave you with a passage from Charlie's book from their section on temperance that really spoke to me. So it says, quote, May we release our stranglehold on either or and ease into the hammock of both and, rocking gently between the forest's trees. May we return nourished to... May we return nourishment to the earth and each other. May we eat when we're hungry, drink when we're hot, wrap a blanket around our friends' shoulders when they're cold, offer our surplus garden harvest to neighbors, and leave some for the birds. Drink just enough wine, smoke just enough weed, cool off in the rain, feel out contradictory emotions, exist as more than one thing at once. Carry the earthworms from the sidewalk to the grass. May we have wings, but not forget the ground. Stories, cards, and symbols, and all the 